Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsuk, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, oh my god. Hello, wow, welcome Kate. to the Televerse. No, we're keeping that in. We're keeping that in. <laughs> joined like, by wow, Noel Kate. Kirkpatrick. I'm sorry, I'm on a sugar rush and also very tired. It, they're not a good blend. I've been just eating nothing but cookies today. And like, I had like a, a breakfast sandwich this morning. And sure. so that's some protein. But like, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of it. So I should probably was it a donut food. breakfast sandwich? No. no, no, it was not. It was not a donut <laughs> breakfast sandwich. Which like that, I, I I respect and I understand that that is a thing that exists in our world. I I don't know why, but you know y'all <laughs> do you. It's, it's it's the melding of like sweet and savory together. I've never had one because it sounds just terrible. But because yeah. <laughs> when I have eggs, I think you know what this needs powdered sugar well or a sugar glaze of some kind okay that's better but not a lot not a lot not yeah. for me that's well okay. you're talking to someone who gets like old-fashioned cake donuts whenever he goes someplace because i like cake donuts because they're very good you get the chocolate and if good. you're feeling extra decadent you get the chocolate uh icing on the chocolate cake donut it's right. it's, it's a quality that was like my go-to donut for most of my childhood so yeah, yeah. it's a quality donut now I prefer the um, the peanuts, which is very hard to find. So I, I usually go for the toasted coconut. I want a little crunch, is what I'm saying, with okay. my delicious yeah. cake donut. We're talking too much about donuts um, when we should. We should just do a donut episode. We should do like a 40 minute segment all breaking Simpsons. donuts. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> um, instead, we should be saying happy holidays to our listeners uh, because Carl, a friend of the show, Carl, has sent us his holiday card, which we always appreciate getting. Thank you very much, Carl. Um, I've been sending uh, just boxes of sugar out to some of our our friends of the show and to you, Noel, and uh, I've also been just then there's extra cookies left over, so I've been eating those today, like I said, and so it it feels like the holiday season now for me. Um, are, Are you there yet? I'm sort of there. Like, I, it felt like the holiday season because I spent uh, like an hour making my top twenty list on Thursday. <laughs> I saw so. you tweeting about that. I, I have this is a, this is where I am in the process. Yeah. I have made my list of 120 shows that I watched this year. Yeah. So, like, I've at least done that. I I know where I'm starting from. That's why you got to have a spreadsheet the entire year and just keep things in like tiered rankings like I do. And it's just like it makes that process a lot easier because then you just sort by that B column. And it's just like, oh, hey, here are my 20 shows. I'm all done, except for the fact that you make me rank things. (laughs) Well, yeah, there is that. Um, But uh, no, what's entertaining is that I did actually start a spreadsheet this year. And I don't know that I can find it on like where it saved (laughs) on my hard drive. Well, that's why you do Google Docs. That's what I do with mine. I definitely was thinking about it around June, July. And I was Uh like, I'm going to be better this year. I'll learn from Noel. And yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that that will be coming, listeners, in the future. Um, We will also next week be doing, reviving our holiday omnibus, where we're going to talk about holiday episodes. Uh, This this time we'll be doing um, Christmas episodes or just seasonal, you know, holiday season. Um, Last time we did Halloween episodes, the time before before that we did Christmas as well. So you've already sent me your picks. I have to ponder 
I have a few yeah, I didn't in contention. Know if you wanted to do those either, so I was just like tossing three out there. They're quality picks, which yeah. you know, you, listeners, you'll have to wait till next week to find out about. But um, my, I'm I'm like torn between traditionalism and like trying to get creative with it, and right. whether like it's just no, you're being insufferable nobody wants you to be creative just do charlie brown christmas <laughs> you, you know I, I would very much like you to be creative i think that would be fun because okay. otherwise like i if that if being creative was an option i would have just made you watch die hard well you know i love die hard so <laughs> I, I will always do. appreciate an opportunity to watch die hard um and we got we're going to talk more about die hard when we get to our week in <laughs> comedy thank you brooklyn 99 for that musical cue if nothing else um <laughs> However, that that we're just following falling down a the K hole here of of uh, holiday conversation. We need to get to our week in TV here. We need to get to some of this news um yeah. so that I can get back to my giant pile of cookies and uh, unfortunately unhealthy life choices. Um so first up is a I think very positive life choice here from Netflix and that is uh they announced that House of Cards season 6 would actually happen because of course Initially, they were saying it was the last season and that they were going to finish the season. That would be the end um, after the spacey stuff broke. And then they said, no, what? You know, we're just scrapping it. We're just not going to do it. And now they're back to doing it. But they're going to have it only be eight episodes. and It's going to center on Robin Wright without any involvement from Spacey. And I think that is an excellent call. Do you have any thoughts on this, Noel? Oh, I know that a lot of folks who still watch House of Cards are probably really excited about this. I remember when they were... um hemming and hawing about what was going to happen with house of cards i remember seeing more than a few tweets in my timeline about how they just wanted it to be about robin wright's character for yeah. that season there's just like that's it make her president we're done <laughs> hand yeah. hand hand wipes were done that's all we need and so now it's happening so i'm very happy for the people who are still interested in watching house of cards mm-hmm. um but i think for me i'm mostly just interested to see what reading about how they're not going to have Underwood on and what that means. I'm just assuming mm. she pushes him in front of a moving train. Yeah. Like that's how they kill everyone on that show anyway. Well, I would be here for that, especially if they just use the stand in a la uh, two and a half men. I, yeah, I would be down I with that. that. Yeah. Or drop a piano on him. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it is a much better decision making process. Like what what went down with House of Cards is a much better decision making process than um, the the fiasco with the ranch and Danny Masterson, which took way too long and took um, the one of their executives being an asshole um, in order to get them to to finally have some movement on that to try to recover from a different PR situation, yeah. which they cared more about than you know allegations of rape. So 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 House of Cards, thank you for giving us some more Robin Wright. Even if I don't care about the show at this point, I I do think it is the right way to go from the last you know things that I watched. It can definitely this is a show that does not need Kevin Spacey to to happen. So why should all those other people lose their jobs? Yeah. Um, I think that's a, it'll be interesting to see how different companies and different production, you know, produ- productions handle these waves of allegations that keep coming. And yeah. speaking of this week, we fu- we got the long awaited um, Brian Singer allegation. Uh, I was expecting more of them and more frequently yeah. by now. But uh, Cesar Sanchez Guzman came forward and uh, has sued Brian Singer um, over his sexual assault, uh, Singer's assault of Guzman, of Sanchez Guzman. And um, so that has 
led to some other things. The singer asked USC to take his name off of their film school, which I thought was interesting that that they didn't choose to do that, but that he asked them to. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens with this lawsuit. And uh, yeah, we'll see if any other allegations are made or if well, it just stays I mean, here. There have been plenty of allegations and rumors about it. So yeah. I just about singer. So it's just sort of like just getting the ball rolling, I think, is a yes. positive step. Absolutely. And as we saw with Spacey, and we've seen so many, um, the first person to restart the allegation, you know, like get the name back out there, will hopefully embolden others to come forward. Yeah. Um, in positive news, uh, we have, or interesting, I don't know, maybe this isn't positive news. I'm curious what you think of this, Noel. Um, FX is developing a TV show um, inspired by Welcome to Night Vale, the you know very popular podcast that I've been meaning to watch for quite a while, and I have the book of it on my bookshelf here, but I still have it, even though I know I would like it. Uh, do you have thoughts on this? I'm, I'm intrigued. I think it's an interesting concept, and certainly there's plenty of material there, but I'm, I'm intrigued. What do you think? I have absolutely no opinion. I don't even know what Welcome to the Night Vale is about. Ah. I've never listened to a single episode. I've never read anything about it. Um, I know people love it in an occasionally unhealthy way, but... Um, yeah, I, so I have zero opinion about this, and I, I'm. It's one of those things where I'm very excited okay. for folks who love Welcome to the Night Vale, but I'm just sort of like, okay. I didn't even hear about okay. this until I saw it in the document. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, no, this is uh, it's it's like um, weird and strange happenings right, in a small town small kind town. of thing. Yeah, and yeah. so there's a lot of different ways they could go. They could like follow the distinct like plot of the show or just kind of take it as a jumping off point um i haven't looked into that much yeah like there's a there's a lot of different ways they could be going this is still it seems very early in the process so we will see you know when we hear more names of who is developing this and directions they're looking to go that we can have maybe more of an opinion but listeners if you are a listener of night vale uh chime in and let us know what what you think of of this development and whether or not you're excited for what this could bring um also big little lies is back for season two at hbo now um i saw this recently remind me had you seen this this year did you watch big little lies I watched the first episode and just kind of checked out. I didn't really like respond to the first episode very much. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I left it alone and never circled back and felt compelled to do so um, a couple of times, but I just haven't made the time to do it. Okay. Yeah. It's certainly in contention for a bunch of things. Like as I'm, as I've been pondering, like sort of passively pondering my list and the, the listening and the smorgasbordy and everything, like there is a lot of really good TV this year and a lot of really good moments and performances. And um, it's interesting what sticks with you and what doesn't. Um, but I certainly will be considering elements and of and the whole of Big Little Lies as I look at my listening. So it ended in such a wonderful way. Like, it doesn't need a second season. So the fact that they're choosing to do one It'll, it, we'll see what they do. Now, I think you could look at The Leftovers. That had one book, and they did that book in that season. And then they went their own way with seasons two and three, and they were amazing, and they just got better and better. So I'm not necessarily averse to a second season just because there isn't a book. Um, but it will depend on, you know, the, the creatives, if they have their own ideas 
around, you know, expanding on some of the themes. I think there's a lot of material there. If they connect in with the plot, I don't know how successful that'll be. But if they connect in with the themes and keep this fantastic cast, at least some of them, involved, uh, there's no reason it couldn't be just as compelling. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, hopefully. And maybe I'll, like, carve out time to, like, check up on this um, over the holidays. Yeah. Um yeah, depending. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I know I'm certainly much more... I'm not going to watch it, but I'm certainly much more interested in the new season of America's Next Top Model and carving out some time for that over the over the holidays. Uh, now that I know that Valentina's going to be on it. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. For those who don't know, Valentina was a contestant on the most recent season of RuPaul's Drag Race. And uh, I think this is a, uh, an, a smart move for an aging... Um, franchise of America's Next Top Model and uh, certainly I think it's a <laughs> it is a a show that Valentina should thrive in the the energy of the show from what I know about it uh, seems like it's a very good fit for Valentina and I, I think there are some other queens that are going to be on as well but... yeah um Katia and Manila are oh, on oh Katia's well. going to be on mm-hmm. ah oh yeah that should okay. That'll get me to watch. Valentina's not going to get me to watch, but Katya would get me to watch. I checked out a couple episodes of her new show um, with another of the queens whose name escapes me at the. It's the something in Katya show, um, and the other person she's with is going to be on the new season of All Stars, Drag Race All Stars, and that was delightful. Um, but I, I still love Katya. So are you are you going to check this out for Valentina, Valentina and Katya or no? I may like um, America's Next Top Model is a show that I can like watch occasionally. Um, I don't like get really super into it very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I've watched it before, I've I've enjoyed it. But it's also something I just like I get tired of like very, very quickly. Um, yeah. So I, I'll probably check this out. But this is like just good cross promotion synergy for vh1 so yeah definitely it's it's smart so hopefully people respond well um yeah any other tv news that we should be you know checking in on there's there's other stuff that we could have opinions on that is tv like tangentially related but i think we can stay out of the whole franken thing yeah though I'm, i'm glad he they finally like asked him to resign um yeah no i can't think of anything else off the top of my head so let's let's leave it there and yeah. uh, say at the end of the show, I was very grateful to be joined by a friend of the show, Emily Stevens from the AV Club, to talk Woo! about Twin Peaks, the return of this this season, the third season, this year's season of Twin Peaks, um, which mostly listeners is me saying, oh, and Emily saying smart things, which is why we have Emily on. Uh, so that, that was a lot of fun. And that's coming at the end of the podcast. Uh, but for now, let's take a break and. And uh, Noel will come back with our week in comedy. We'll be right back after this. I lost my mind. What I'd find. All of the pressures that I'd left behind on Allison Road. Warm drawn butter. I know. Fools in the rain. If the sun gets through. Fires in the heaven of the eyes. The gin blossoms is exactly what I needed. Dark clouds file. The moon is near. Birds fly by in the bedroom stair. There's no telling what I might find. I couldn't see. I was lost at the time. Jingle, jangle, ding. 
Jingle jangle, jingle jangle ding, jingle jungle, dingle dungle, Allison Road. Jingle jangle, dingle dangle, jingle jangle ding, jingle jungle, dingle dungle, Allison Road. I couldn't see, I was lost at the time. Wait for it. That was some of the musical stylings of the Psych cast from the Psych movie that aired this week. And it's going to be one of the shows we talk about here in our weekend comedy. Uh, after we talk about Psych's uh, holiday special, I guess, we'll talk about the Broad City finale, Friendiversary, Superstore, Christmas Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 99 or 99 and we'll round things out with top chef colorado which is not comedy but we weren't going to have a special segment or a separate segment just for reality to talk about one show so this week in comedy and reality um we're going to kick things off with psych and uh i've saved our recording noel so this time when we talk about psych unlike last time with friend of the <laughs> dennis perkins we will actually have to just do it once and not twice i blame dennis for that though I totally blame Dennis for that. <laughs> it was obviously my mistake. Um, right. Now, how how much did you miss Psych? Were you like, were you really looking forward to this uh, holiday special? Were you counting the days or was it just sort of like a, oh, this is on. I guess I'll watch it. Right. I, I kept kind of forgetting that they were doing a holiday special slash movie. And it wasn't until maybe like, tw- it wasn't really until Gus slapped sean with a waffle Mm -hmm. that i went oh i've really missed psych (laughs) and that felt very good to miss to miss psych and that's really i think what the movie really coasts on and really embraces is the fact that it's just a very long goofy episode of psych and it's very good and that it made me very happy so i was i was i I didn't realize how much i missed it until i started watching this and went oh i just want them to do this every year now yeah, it's like you want it, it's like a, a televisual cup of cocoa. Um, yeah. And it, and I that's why I don't feel like calling it a, a psych movie, because this is not a movie. And uh, also, Twin Peaks season three is not a movie. And that's a stupid thing to say. But that's a conversation ah, oh, for another time. But film people love Twin yeah. Peaks, Kate. They love it. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Screw you. It is, and it is a TV show is not a movie. Why would anyone want to watch an 18-hour movie? That just sounds unbearable. We've talked about this before. Back to Psych. This was not a movie. It was not structured like a movie. It was not uh, conceived in any meaningful way as a movie. This is a long episode of Psych, and it is a reunion episode of Psych. And it is delightful. <laughs> yeah. And and I, it, is, it is not aspiring to be more. It is not aspiring to be different. It is more time with this cast of characters that we really enjoy. And I think there, there are a few changes here and there that I'm sure um, from their original maybe intention, certainly uh, the stroke that Timothy Elmanson was recovering from at the time likely affected his participation in it. But what they did get with him, I thought, was smart and, and worked well. It was great to have him there. Um, and the just the the hit to miss ratio of the jokes, like how long they were holding some of the gags, like the timing and everything I thought worked really well. And this is just again, like in the U.S., we don't really do Christmas specials like Christmas TV. We go the U.S. goes to the movies in Christmas yeah. and the U.K. stays home and watches TV and all the shows do Christmas episodes and Christmas specials. This was a Christmas special as far as I'm concerned, and it was delightful. And in this very stressful 
very depressing time of year. I think many of us could use a little more psych. So I appreciated the way it ended. I appreciated just like off on the next hijink and, and maybe the next, you know, special that they do if this does well and they do more, we'll pick up where that one left off or maybe it'll never mention it again. Who knows? Doesn't really matter. All I know is that uh, they fit in the right number of gags. They took time to have a, mu- a dream musical number just so we could hang out with Jimmy Simpson again. Right. Because why wouldn't you? And uh, it had Zach Levi doing a ridiculous accent. And I'm not sure why. And who cares? Because it's silly and it's fun. And because they made fun of it was the other thing. Is like, I really appreciated they made fun of how bad that accent was. Mm-hmm. Like a couple of times. Yeah. And so I really appreciated that. I appreciated his whole... I, I kind of sound like Bowie, and it's just like, like no, you well, no don't one sound does like Bowie. Bowie. No one does Bowie. Well, Jermaine and, does Bowie. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good conversation. Yeah, right. So that's the thing. It's just like even though we've got like this sort of weird caper slash crime spree sort of going on, and I appreciated like the overall gasp reveal thing. So I enjoyed mm-hmm. that aspect of it. But yeah, no, it's just it's just a bunch of silliness. And it was it was really nice to have that silliness and have multiple layers of silliness, including like Gus not being able to be the cheetah. And Mm -hmm. it was just it was there were just really good layers of stuff here. And so it just made me very, very happy to have it on and to just really embrace its inherent psychiness. And so I enjoyed it a great deal. And I and I think introducing shauna's this is my this is my partner white privilege is just so good it's so good because that's all sean coasts on is so much white privilege Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) so no it was it was very good and i enjoyed it and i definitely i i definitely need the follow-up to be a continuation of the tag Mm -hmm. because if it's not then i don't know why we got the tag because (laughs) it's just such an escalation of that character but also that particular performer's performance because Mm -hmm. he has grown so much in the intervening years between when that character first appeared and now it's just like it's a whole new level for that character and for that performance and for that performer and i just want an entire movie of that now yeah and i think it'd be very good yeah, I do. I do need them to keep some of Carbon Brimson's uh, new quirks. Uh, <laughs> I told the, you to dress for dinner, Dad. Not an Adam Levine funeral. <laughs> so, like when he's going fishing at the end, it's like okay, but when we see him again, he can't have dropped the drum circle. He can still no. fish sometimes, but we need like I'm allowed to evolve. We need like that was terrific, and we need to yeah. keep that going. I think. Yes. Um, any other elements you want to mention? Performances, uh, bits. They made time for the pineapple. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. I, I feel like this was a really nice sort of love letter without being a love letter in a lot of ways. Like, it wasn't aggressive about, like, its nostalgia or any way, shape, or form, which I really, really appreciated. <laughs> and, yeah, it was it was just a really nice sort of revisit. And I think doing a TV movie um, each year or every once in a while, the same sort of way that we used to do TV movies of these shows that then went off the air. Like there's so many like murder. She wrote movies and Rockford movies. I think that that's just a really good way to sort of keep the show going without having to do eight episodes that only three of which are actually any good cough x-files cough and (laughs) don't wear out their welcome yeah no i think that's an excellent point and like we said like i I look forward to the adventure with you and it should they 
return to that well. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was fun. It was it was it was it was a good time. It was a good time. Um, next up is Broad City, which had their season four finale, friend anniversary, and this was this was nice. This was fun. I will say I I can't decide. I was a little disappointed when the murder, like Dennis O'Hare's murder of his sex doll, didn't turn out to be Abby's gift. That's what I was, as we were watching along, I'm like, oh, she set this up. And I was like, that's going to be the twist. And that's going to be really fun. Um, I think that would have been way more believable. That's why I was willing to go along with so much of what they were doing. Because I was like, okay, this is a setup. Because it's just so ridiculous and but their reactions to everything are not as heightened as we would expect from a more heightened episode of broad city or at least that i would expect so the way the dating want was really lovely in this idea of um the it not mattering that she forgot about the anniversary because the friendship is clearly still so strong that's what's important that was lovely uh but i can't decide if i if that was worth not ha- like everything us trying to believe that everything else just actually happened. <laughs> well, I think that the world of Broad City is weird enough that everything actually happened. So I can totally buy there being a black market sex doll repair shop in the back of a Korean karaoke, karaoke place. Yeah, right. I, I I can totally buy into that. So I, re- I really enjoyed it. And the idea that Abby had set this up didn't really cross my mind. Um, but I like that idea a lot. But I think it's also in fitting that this is something that Alana has spent a great deal of time and money on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that Abby just completely forgot. And I liked I liked that. But it re- and it allowed for the central reinforcement of their friendship that allows the season to bookend since the premiere was all about like the formation of their friendship and then it ends on the bench here yeah. in this episode that 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 was the central like takeaway for me and so i really appreciated that and i really enjoyed how they set that up um that kind of symmetry for the season i thought just worked really really nicely and their whole thing of, of a bizarre weird window with a sex doll mm-hmm. was just it was very good and i enjoyed all the ways in which Alana was present at each stage of the treasure hunt, including the pet shop, I think was maybe my favorite. <laughs> that was pretty good. The notion that she was the horse, I think, is my favorite. The horse was also very good, too. Yes. Yeah. I was that horse. And <laughs> I like that Abby doesn't know how to process that. That's the appropriate <laughs> response. There is no processing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that. Yeah. It was It was a nice end of the season and, and a slight change, uh, in some ways a change of pace, but in other ways a continuing their tradition of like the crazy ride at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it's been for me, it's been, I've been less invested in the city, this season of broad city, I should say. Um, but, but I thought it was a really nice end to the season. And yeah, I certainly definitely was. We'll look forward to season five. Um, next up is Superstore and Christmas Eve. I, I don't have much to say about this one other than I, I really enjoyed it. And I feel like a lot of the sitcoms that I'm watching, have been just kind of okay recently. Like, I feel like earlier in the season, they were knocking it out of the park. Um, Earlier in the calendar year, they were knocking it out of the park. But just the last month or so, it's just been sort of like, yeah, that's fine. Um, And Superstore has not been on. And it came, uh, at least for a couple weeks, and it came back here. and And I enjoyed this one. I feel like this season has been much more consistent for Superstore than some of the other uh, network comedies that that we've been 
following. So I just wanted to give a shout out here and I, I enjoy Kramy and she's allowed to come back uh, at <laughs> least a few more times, I, I would say. She's a three hour old bitch. <laughs> I don't feel like there's anything else to say because it's just so good. But no, 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 I, I totally agree with you. I think that they've had a really strong like kind of run of six, six episodes. Um, and the episode that preceded this a month ago, Jesus, mm-hmm. um, Health Fund was just really, really funny and really sharp satire for a show that I think kind of years away from satire for the most part, but they really went whole hog in it. So this, I really appreciated for like its character emphasis and the ridiculousness of just everything while still having sort of a tug at the end with Jonah and Kelly going off. And, but then we just, Kate, Kate, I need Jerry not to have amnesia when he comes out of this coma. I'm deathly afraid <laughs> that he's not going to remember Sandra. And if he does, I may break up with the show, Kate, because I can't deal with that. I need Sandra to be happy. I need her to be happy, Kate. <laughs> I thought that was a very nice uh, Christmas miracle there at the end. And certainly, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, though maybe they can rekindle their love again from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> If that, uh, if no, he does. I don't. I don't want that for Sandra. I just wanted to continue. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, things we want to continue: Brooklyn Nine Nine and their episode Nine Nine or Ninety Nine, which was the ninety ninth episode of the show. Which I love that they made that the big celebratory yeah. episode, not the hundredth. Um, has two big things we're going to talk about. So first, we're going to talk about Rosa coming out as bi and how amazing that is and how well handled I think it is in this episode and uh, then we're going to talk about everything else so thoughts on Rosa it was just so good it was really nicely done um, I was reading an interview with um, Stephanie Beatrix Beatrix? Beatrix Beatrice. Beatrice, thank you. I knew that the X wasn't right. Beatrice, mm-hmm. um, in Entertainment Weekly, where she had like sort of mentioned that she felt Rosa was at least queer from like mm-hmm. season one. And then she the writers all sat down with each of the actors and were just like, So what would you like to do this season? And she was just like, Well, I've been thinking about like Rosa being bi. It to reflect also the fact that um Beatrice had come out herself last year very quietly. And um, the writers were just like, oh, yeah, no, we were actually kind of already thinking about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's do it. And so I just I really appreciated how it comes out um, that and I'm going to, again, steal Beatrice's um, phrasing here of the fact that she comes out to boil because he doesn't care that that this is what this is. He just wants to know and to be confided <laughs> in. And he's a he's an intimacy addict, is how she describes him. And it's such a good description of Boyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I just appreciated like the the subtleness and the slowness of that reveal and kind of the low key nature in which it's presented, which it will contrast nicely to next week's episode, which is a much bigger like deals with her coming out to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. And, um, it was, it was just very good. And I'm very excited for what the show can do going forward with this. Yeah. And we don't often get to see, I think, Unless I'm forgetting a bunch of episodes like this. We don't often get to see characters come out as queer 
and have them have been that the whole time. Right. But yeah. But that wasn't something that they were sharing for some various reasons. And the fact that it's yeah. her workplace and she yeah. didn't know how people would react and she's a very private person anyways. I think that all yeah. just works so organically. It makes so much sense for, for that character. So so usually when we see characters come out as queer on TV, it's part of a process of them realizing that they're queer or is that if they don't identify in the traditional heteronormative uh, manner, whatever, you know, heter- you know whether, whether just a, as straight or as um, monogamous or, you know, there, there's lots of different ways that one can um, feel the standard as- default assumption of your average American, your average straight, cis, white American doesn't apply to them. Normally, we're seeing the coming out process. Um, from the point of view of someone who doesn't, who who is new to that process themselves, so having Rosa be very certain of who she is, and this just deciding to share that with other people, is I think a really it's smart and it's it's great from a representational standpoint, but it also just adds more layers to the show, more opportunities for for storytelling and. It also uh, gives again. I just, I just keep. I would go back to the representation is just so important. So a queer Latina uh, on TV who's not the only person of color in her office who is a badass who's not defined in one way just by being a badass who also now is surprisingly into musicals and you know it's just the characters on the and show is now into steampunk YA exactly the characters on the show are so um, fleshed out and. Um, they're so so full of potential contradictions that it's nice to to have sexuality at, and and identification added to that you know list of of elements that they're comfortable the show is comfortable exploring and discussing yeah and i i think your point about like the way that this show avoids having that kind of a um sort of a or an all-in-one sort of character to cover themselves is like really important because i mean they've also holt's gay so it's not even like she's the only queer character on the show yeah exactly it's just like you we've a we've had two care two queer characters since season one but we've organically sort of like built up to this in a way and I, i just i really appreciate that and that they've constructed a really kind of diverse tapestry within this police um bullpen and i'm really excited for like i said for what this brings forward um for the show for storytelling and for how everyone's going to respond and how everyone is going to sort of take in this news apart from just obviously being like super excited and supportive about it because again mm-hmm. I, this is a group of people who even when it comes to Hitchcock and Scully really respond and appreciate everyone that's involved on some level shape or form they all contribute and I'm really excited to see what's going to come in next week's episode for this yeah definitely definitely um any thoughts on the rest of the episode and like the <sighs> the cross country road trip the the other shoe dropping or at least <gasps> being uh poised and waiting to drop for a hold right 
It was just very good. I I enjoyed all of this episode, like across the board. I enjoyed um, going to Nakatomi Plaza through, <laughs> for whatever reason, why that floor was still like that. I don't know, and I don't care. Um, it was it was just all very very good, and I appreciated whole steady sabotage of them across the episode, including there were plenty of rental cars, and it's just like. This <laughs> This is very good. But also, Boyle meeting cousins and just their walk out of the house in all this beige and tan. Just, it was very, very good. And <laughs> I really appreciated all of that. And so, no, I don't think that there was one part of this episode I didn't like. Uh, all the way down to Jake telling Amy that she needed to get into a new level of Amy to get them all the way back to Brooklyn. And it just it reinforced again how much of the fact that they embrace one another, but also like keep like wanting to like challenge one another as well. So I really just appreciated this episode top to bottom, including the very predictable, but very welcomed explosion of the American creeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that was... That was fun. And and the fact that as soon as she, once we got rid of Chill Amy, uh, we could have, like, she could solve it, like, immediately. Yeah. Like, the yeah. answer was there all along, but we just had to be willing to sacrifice yeah. Chill Amy to get there. Uh, I thought that was delightful. And, yeah, the... <laughs> The subtle manipulations of Scully. Uh, it was Scully, right? Or was it Hitchcock? I can't remember. It, it was it was Scully. It was Scully, right? Yeah. The yeah. subtle manipulations of, of Scully to, to destroy the bathroom. Um, I always will enjoy a gag like that. Uh, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine does them so well and so often. Anyways, congrats, Nine-Nine, on your 99th. And I'm very eagerly anticipating 100. Yeah, I am too. It'll, it'll, it'll be very good. Yeah. Next up is our only entry for our week in reality this week. Cash Cab is back, and yes, we watched it, but... Well, we watched one of the episodes that aired, and yeah. We have nothing to say. We're, instead, we're going to talk about Top Chef Colorado. Uh, so seasons 15 of Top Chef kicked off this week, and I would not have known of, about this if I didn't, you know, semi-regular, like semi-annually, like, trawl through the list of premiere dates and write down when they are in our notes, because... I have not seen any discussion of the show coming back. And if I watched Bravo more, I'm sure I would have seen ads. But yeah. like, but I don't. I only watch Bravo for Top Chef. So I would have totally missed that this was coming back. I couldn't even find like um, I was talking with um, I was talking with my person about um, the potatoes um, that won. And yeah. I was very upset about the potatoes winning. And she was just like. I need to know what these potatoes are, because otherwise the deconstructed samosa slash Pakistani nacho sounds amazing. <laughs> and it looked amazing. But so I couldn't even find like a recap for this, really. I struggled to find like a recap to find out the description of those potatoes. And I just went, no one knows that this is back on, apparently. So I, I think everyone was sort of in the same boat as everyone else. It was just like. Yeah, no, it's been 15 seasons now. I don't really know that anyone knows that Top Chef is even still on. I feel like it's entered that, oh, it's still on sort of thing mm -hmm. in a way that a number of other shows that I think you and I are much more aware are on. 
Yeah. Then necessarily top, we know when Top Chef's coming back. <laughs> well, and, and this is one of those things that, because uh, I, I enjoy watching Top Chef uh, when I get the opportunity. I enjoy watching it with my sister. And mm-hmm. this is the kind of show, like, she'll be like, hey, when's Top Chef coming back? Like, every few months. I'll be like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, like, okay, let me know when it's back. <laughs> and mm-hmm. And she actively very much wants to watch it. But... Yeah apparently has to poke me to you know heaven forbid she google but um, i was about to say why is this all on you why can't maggie just do a little leg work as well they don't ever announce when the premiere dates are going to be until all of a sudden they do and it's next week you know like yeah yeah, well there are google alerts maggie can get an email about it that's true there's (laughs) that's true she could set up an alert um but the fact that it's not always on at a certain time of year anymore, yeah. um, that it's not necessarily the same, the same day or time, or, you know, reliably, I yeah. think makes it really hard to retain interest and for people to be like, oh, it's that Top Chef time of year. And yeah. I think that's part of the um, part of the, the people losing track of it and maybe there not being as much discussion. But I'm sure Bravo has a reason that they're scheduling the way that they are. Uh, how do you feel about this set of chefs or chef testants? Um, normally I don't like to, like, get too invested or, like, start making predictions early on, um, mainly because that's a fool's errand, um, um, with Top Chef, but I'm feeling okay about this group, um, so far, um, based on, like, this first episode, which is nice, um, to feel that way, like, I feel like there's, um, I definitely feel like the top three in this episode were sort of, the top three that I feel like could have can go to a number of degrees, including a guy who does Amish country comfort food, mm-hmm. which I'm just, I'm very here to watch that be explored throughout this entire season. Um, but yeah, I feel like that, that, that top three was sort of like the top three I was sort of expecting apart from maybe not Tyler. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, definitely, um, Fatma. Yeah. I don't know any of their names. Yeah, um, I definitely felt really confident about, um, I'm very worried about, um, uh, two, who is the fellow who's helping everyone, mm-hmm. um, across We've the episode. We've seen this before. It does I've not end well. Before. Yeah, no, it doesn't end well for him. Um, but I'm also really excited about Brother, um, mm-hmm. who I think has, um, like, talks um and his food looks very distinct i think so i'm really excited about what he can bring to the table um but yeah i I, i'm feeling good about like this crop of chefs i feel like it's a really diverse set of chefs and that also has me really excited for this season yeah and there's um the last season was the half and half which worked really well for us we weren't necessarily anticipating that or excited for that but then we ended up really enjoying it and Uh um and this the season before when i was like not that interested in in many of the new chefs last time and the season before that i was very underwhelmed by many of the chefs so i was certainly heartened by what we saw in this first episode and like you said the diversity of the chefs and the the type of food that they make but they all seem like they really know what they're doing and they also seem like they did their research so it doesn't seem like there's people there who don't get how Top Chef works, you know? Right. At 15 years in, you don't get to say, well, I just didn't know. I don't watch <laughs> the show. I didn't realize it was going to be so fast. Like, the fact that there's the talking head of the guy saying, I didn't want to be this guy. <laughs> However, the guy who says it's it's harder than it looks, but it's harder than it looks. Um, that awareness from the chef test is like, what kind of person would professional and... and 
as a stereotype, chefs are very like detail and controlling oriented, you know, like would go on to the show without doing any research at all. It seems very like that would be a very strange thing at this point. So um, it seemed like this is a good batch of chefs. It seems like the right person went home the first week and we'll see what happens as they start getting into the, you know, the, the, the big challenges for the Mm -hmm. show. But I, I certainly think the, the chef testants are a more energetic and um, it seems like it's better casting than it has been yeah, in, in a while. So we'll yeah, see how that lasts. Yeah. Hopefully it lasts for a little while. Um, like I've been really bad about like fading out on top chef um, mm-hmm. the past couple of seasons. And I was fully prepared to like expect myself to do that. Uh, Cause I actually only set my DVR to record this episode. I didn't set like a se- season pass. Cause I was just like, I'm just ah. going to fade out. Um, Cause so why put that pressure on myself by having a bunch of them build up? And then I just went, oh, I'm probably going to set a season pass and I don't think <laughs> I'm going to let it build up. Um, a lot of it helps that it's on Thursdays and mm-hmm. I don't have a lot on Thursdays. So that makes it a lot more manageable for me. If this were on Tuesday, it'd be a goner. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to set a season pass because I'm actually intrigued to see what a lot of these chefs are going to do this in, uh, with these challenges. Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be fun. I think we'll see. We'll report yeah. back listeners yeah. when we next feel like we have something to add, but, uh, but yeah, strong start certainly. And, uh, Noel, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Um, I think I'm going to give it to Brooklyn Nine-Nine this week. Uh, mm-hmm. just, it was a, it was probably one of the strongest 22 minutes I've watched in a while. Um, what about you? What won your week in comedy slash reality? Yeah, I also got to give it to, to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes, it was, again, very silly and goofy. We've, yeah. we've noted a trend in that for yeah. them. Um, but they have not maxed out on that yet. I was leery that they were getting there. But the the stuff with Rosa this episode certainly countered that because it was so grounded and so just matter of fact that it kind of was a nice counterbalance to all the <laughs> ridiculousness <laughs> of the road trip. So, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'm giving it to Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. And... Uh, I just, I just want to watch episode 100 like right now, but I do too. I do too. Next week. Okay. Now we'll take a break, listen to a little bit of music and come back with our week in genre. genre noel's going to clue us in a little bit here about happy which uh premieres barely (laughs) on sci-fi then we'll both talk the agents of shield premiere orientation i'll talk a little bit about outlander the the bakra uh then we'll we'll do a little roundup of cw superheroes which i don't think we were planning to but then they all gave us things to say 
And so yeah. we have Supergirl, Rain, Legends of Tomorrow, Bebo, the God of War, which, I mean, just a moment for Bebo, please. Then we'll talk <laughs> The Flash, Don't Run, and we'll round things out with Arrow, Irreconcilable Differences. First up, though, is Happy, uh, or sorry, Happy! Uh, exclamation point uh, on Sci-Fi. And your, your notes here are... Um, just like you got 10 minutes in and then you're just like, nope. So that was intriguing to me. Not intriguing enough that I would watch it. But um, all I know about this show is it's on Sci-Fi Channel and it has Chris Maloney. And what, what else should I know? Well, uh, the show is deeply invested in sort of a s- stylized comic book graphic novel sort of approach to doing a crime story uh, maloney plays a disgraced cop um who is clearly mentally unstable um the episode opens with him imagining committing suicide by blowing his brains out with two firearms and then from that scene it transitions into a disco dance number uh, with jingle bells um in a disco form of him dancing with the two pistols and then with while CGI blood flows out of his head in sort of a anti-gravity sort of stream and then women dancing around him in on roller skates and disco shorts. And that's sort of how the show starts. And that's sort of the tone that it wants us to take is like, this is a crazy show. Anything can happen. And they lean in really hard on that. Um, later on, there's a conversation um, between gangsters that have been tasked with killing Maloney's character. And it's done in a trifold um, shot order of like, here's one shot. Here's a second shot. Here's a third shot on the screen. And then like it changes within each thing. So think like a three-way telephone conversation. But everything's like, there's no motivation for this to be done like this. It just looks cool. And where I stopped was a guy in a stag beetle costume is getting a blowjob from a prostitute. He's smoking weed from the claw of a hammer. He's about to bash in the woman's brains with the hammer when Maloney shows up and shoots him in the head. Okay. And that's where I stopped. Nope. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Because this is one of these shows that wants to like, it feels very irreverent and edgy. And I didn't even get to like the premise that Maloney sees a blue dragon that helps him solve crimes or solve prevent murders or whatever the actual premise of the show is. I didn't even get to that part. Mm -hmm. I got to the point where I just went, Oh no, you guys are trying really hard to be cool and it's not cool at all. It's just kind of boring and also just style for the sake of style. And I just kind of like tapped out after he killed a guy who was getting oral sex in a stag beetle costume because i get i got the joke guys he's a stag beetle i get it i get it i get Mm -hmm. it i see what you're doing here it's not funny it's not insightful there's nothing really being offered here and i should note that the guy in the stag beetle costume while he was receiving oral sex was discoursing on the way that prostitutes are a lot lot prostitutes that work on christmas are very much like retail employees who work on christmas and i just went no no, I'm just, I'm not interested in this at all in any way, shape, or form. So I tapped out really, really after about ten minutes. Um, 
So I didn't really enjoy this in any way. The only thing I wanted to kind of bring up, and I'm curious about your take on this, um, as this is something that definitely Mr. Robot was doing, but is also showing up a lot more in FX as well, and shows up very a lot in Happy's first 10 minutes, is that fuck is just like all over the place in this. Um, it's used at least two or three times within the first 10 minutes. And I was really curious about how you felt about this because, and for those listeners who aren't aware, like there isn't actually any FCC regulation over cable channels. Cable channels self-censor themselves to appeal to audiences, but also to keep advertisers in check. But within the past couple of years or so, language has been less of an issue with certain cable channels, FX and um, USA by and large, because even like I want to say Damnation had a couple instances of the F word in the first episode. Um, but that's becoming less of a differentiation point for premium cable versus basic cable. And I was curious about what you thought about that. And then I immediately thought about, well, Westworld was just sex with robots. So I guess like our like our deli- our line increasingly is just sex now really in this differentiation process between cable and basic cable but i was curious about what you thought about this trend with um some of the cablers just going our advertisers don't care and our audience probably doesn't care so let's just go for it and what what you think that sort of a change might mean well for me the issue or the question is how is language being used and why? Right. And that is how I can forget certain shows have language that might be very offensive to people because it feels so organic to the world and to the characters. Um, For example, Deadwood, you know, (laughs) because it just, it fits the world. It fits the characters. It makes sense. And it is used for a very specific purpose. When you have, f-bombs thrown in to be shocking which is i think often what happens shows trying to prove that they're edgy or networks trying to prove that they're edgy um and that's not just how this person talks or that's not just what this world is that is they're trying to exchange some of the 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 decades of hang-ups about around language on tv you know in for like a quick you know a quick bump of daring or whatever uh, then it doesn't work because that quickly erodes and there's nothing else there uh so so as the f uh, the f word gets more common on various cable channels will be interesting to me is seeing how like what comes next because the shows that are using profanity to try to shock or titillate their audience will have to come up with a new word um, or right. they could, you know, be more substantive and better written, but that's that's a lot harder than just coming up with a new word. Um, so, yeah, it depends. Again, it depends on how and why and whether it's interesting or not. And I think a lot of the times it's not interesting. What was, What is always interesting for me is shows that are networks that do censor that stuff when they allow it. In so like if if an episode can have one or like there can be one on a season like we'd see that right. with with AMC with Mad Men or with um, Breaking Bad or some, certain other shows you knew it was a big deal if they u- actually had the characters swear then usually it was very warranted like it was very earned it was like a big it, it gave extra power to that moment because 
uh, as viewers, either we either consciously or subconsciously for most people, subconsciously we're aware that this is not the way that the show usually speaks. So I'm not, I'm not like pro or con as long as people know what they're watching. Um, and kids, you, you know, uh, if parents who care about this stuff, if they're on top of what their kids are watching, but, um, yeah, it's always about the context and the, the reasoning for me. And I don't think that I, I do think there are many shows that get far too much cred for how daring they are based on very superficial things. Um, yeah. more on this when we do our smart sporty, <laughs> um, but one of those things those shortcuts is language and so as that no longer becomes available it will be interesting to see how shows respond and certainly as you said the only thing american audiences seem to care about or get offended by is sex so heaven forbid we see a nipple but let's have horrifically violent television all all over the place as well as who cares what profanity um yeah that i don't know when that bias is gonna start equaling out or moving or changing in any significant way in American culture because it hasn't in my lifetime so far. But um, yeah, that's certainly something to note. Yeah, no, I was just curious because it struck me while I was watching Happy and I just wanted to get your beat on it because for me, I just see it more as like an industrial sort of like differentiation Mm -hmm. as opposed to a way for them to enliven their world and that kind of a thing or within like the context of justification i just see it as like them sort of like trying to push back and regain real estate in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. and so i was just really curious about how you felt about it um because that was like the most interesting thing i could come up with to say about happy apart from the fact that i didn't like it (laughs) fair enough enough. well you didn't like happy i was very surprised because i did like right yeah let's talk about this the first episode of agents of shield um now you had watched all the last season and so i tried a couple different times to be a good soldier and like catch up with this you didn't ask me to but i was like i did not i was like that but i should catch up you know like i've seen all up until this last season until they started the ghost rider stuff and i just i just had to stop it was just so so bad when sim like and it happens in this episode as well where sim's like an mri machine i'm like what what who says mri was that this or was i maybe thinking of i might be thinking of legends no no sorry uh flash Caitlin says MRI machine and like uh, she would she would she would never say that um but but on shield Simmons said something like that as well we're like that's not what it's called she would never call it that y'all are being very stupid in in your writing for these characters so I just I just had to stop I tried to to, again a couple times to catch back up and I just couldn't do it because it was so poorly written and not much better acted um so yeah imagine my surprise when I I see that you had seen it so I, I I check check in on this first episode and I'm like okay we're back to quips we're back to the team dynamic we're back to hijinks in space and it takes them way too long to figure out and in time and uh we're done with the overwrought over melodramatic unearned stupidness of a lot of what i saw last year so uh, i thought this was fun and the right balance of adventure and zingers to i guess stakes what they want us to consider stakes so i i will probably i didn't quite finish the second episode i will i will go back and finish it i will very likely kind of keep up with this one depending on you know it'll drop quickly for my list as time you know allows but yeah but this is back on my list now how did you feel about the premiere 
Uh, I really liked it um, for like a couple of reasons, like all the reasons you listed in terms of like quipping and team dynamics. I really appreciated that. And I think that the especially within the initial episode, the fact that they're pressed together so much to like figure out what's going on is that they're just sort of like having to be at wit's ends, um, I think really helps things. Um, But I also think that it's a really good continuation of especially a lot of the stuff that they had to haven't had time to actually recover from with what they dealt with in season four when pulling themselves out of like this virtual reality mainframe thing, which gets talked about a little bit in this, um, episode two, part two of this. Um, I don't know if you got there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that they did all, they were all Hydra agents basically, except for a couple of them mm-hmm. and dealing with repercussions of what they feel like is with inside of them to do these, etc., etc., etc. that th- all of them sort of being on edge still um, about that stuff here, I think to a certain degree explains like how kind of testy everyone is down to Simmons being like, Oh, right. No, I'm the biologist. Just give me five minutes and I'll invent time travel because that's how (laughs) science works. And it's just that kind of like edginess to everyone that I really, really like um, down to like how Mac is just like, when I punch someone, I punch someone. (laughs) I I don't like half punch someone. It's funny and quippy, but at the same time, because of everything they just went through, there's still this undercurrent of animosity and unresolved like anger, both at themselves, but also to a certain degree at each other because of how everything ended up going down between all of them. So I really appreciated that the episode doesn't overplay any of that. While still, if you watch the previous season, you can go, this is all unresolved tensions between these folks. That's really, really good while still being deeply accessible in your case, apparently. So I really appreciated that this is something that worked really well on two very different levels, apart from how long it takes them to figure out that they've been lost in time and space. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like, for the love of God, you guys are very clearly in the future. And two, you're clearly in space. (laughs) So please, let's just let's just wrap this up very quickly right now, please. I I appreciate the show understanding we have magic rocks. Yeah. There's no reason yeah. we can't just boom them all away to yeah. adventure in space and then they'll figure yeah. out we'll get them back somehow. Like that it's such a comic book thing and right. it's so it's so appropriate for this kind of show. It's mm-hmm. great to see them willing to embrace that. Uh I, yeah. do you have any thoughts on season 4 versus this cuz for me it's a huge shift in the tone and in like the brooding and the angst and like, we're going to go dark with Ghost Rider. Yeah, I think that there's I think it's definitely more of a piece of what they were doing with the um, Agents of Hydra's last the final pod of season four. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is much more of a piece of that. And so I'd be curious to see how they keep that going. Um, and I'm also like really curious. This is something that they discussed if they're going to do more more continued the pod structure that they did in season four, which was the big reason I actually watched season four was because um, after it dropped onto Netflix, I wanted to see how that pod structure of self-contained, but still like grand scheme continuing sort of arcs worked for them. And structurally, I think it worked very, very well because they did a lot of seed planning across the two arcs to get to their third one. And I think that there was a lot of 
general balance, but also the pleasure of the self-contained narrative told over eight episodes was really, really positive for me. And I'm really curious to see if they do that, but they've acknowledged that a lot of it depends on their scheduling of episodes, um, considering the fact that they're airing like 10, eight to 10 weeks into the season now because of Inhumans, boy, oh boy. And... Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll be curious to see if they keep that going here because they can't stay in space the space and the future the entire time because they need to save the planet and Fitz is working on it because mm-hmm. um, he's the only one that didn't come through. So I'm really I'll be curious to see structurally how this continues, but just tonally I'll be curious to see how they continue going forward because I sort of like this hybrid of anger. But also, like, general sort of, like, well, we need to pull together everyone type of stuff. And, like, everyone gets split up by the end of the uh, second episode to certain degrees, naturally. Um, but I think that there's I think that there's a lot of promise in this sort of continuation of where they've been. So I'm really excited. And I'm excited that you liked it. Because when I watched it, I just like, Kate's not going to watch it. And then I, I was very glad when we started recording. You're just like... I really liked this. And I just went, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, I, well, that's the thing we always say is we're always hoping to enjoy stuff. Um, So, so it's always a pleasure when that happens. Uh, And I'm going to take that opportunity to, to jump over to Outlander, the Bakra, because no, this episode was so much fun and I'm still waiting for my Podlander Drunkcast feed to update, because I cannot wait to hear them them talk about this episode of Outlander, because this episode has the, for those who, who knew what was coming a little bit, which I haven't read any of the Outlander books, but I've read the Wikipedia pages for the books, uh, so I knew this was coming. Um, this has the reintroduction of a fan-favorite character, uh, who is are they are they a good guy, are they a bad guy? You know, it's been kind of murky in both, sort of, in the past. Um, and they reintroduce this character bathing in a, a, a like a this vat this this like bath of blood Ugh. and like and and clearly they are and bakra means boss so the boss we and this character a different character had been kidnapped and um so claire and jamie had to go try to find and save him it's it's the the nephew and um and we see the character again for the first time and like the second scene of the episode he's watching a character stick her leg out of a bath of blood and you find out later it's goat's blood but um uh that she bathes in to stay young (laughs) and it's just like oh welcome back to the show name redacted i just don't want it in case somebody's a week behind because we have missed you and that is that is how you make an entrance you know like that's that is how you come back to a show after leaving in a very prominent way and a very memorable way uh yeah so it was there was plenty of really interesting fun stuff in this episode but like i had to mention it for name redacted in a goat's bud bath and like outlander oh you're so fun you're so fun (laughs) when you aren't about the lingering traumas and and effects of of rape uh (laughs) it's it's not fun when it's doing that it's really powerful and emotional and really incredibly well done and like necessary television for that but like this is just fun and ridiculous and amazing 
next up, decidedly less goat's blood, but still quite a bit of blood uh, on yeah. this week's, oh, certainly for this show, on this week's Supergirl reign. We got our big mega like 2017 finale smackdown between Kara and rain and rain kicked her ass so bad up and literally up and down the street yeah yeah (laughs) and into the street Uh (laughs) um no i i I mean i've been like really keen on supergirl this season in part because they've avoided doing this kind of a villain um and for like a villain of the week sort of situation and i've been really glad because it made this like long end of the episode fight that they do here of just punchy punch type stuff uh really it had like an actual like impact in a lot of ways because we haven't had this really since the season two finale and so i really i really liked that they had that much restraint and then gave us this very long fight between supergirl and rain uh that spanned like across the city sky into an office party that they ruined while keeping the christmas music going and then like onto the street and just like the showing the severity of a rain's rain's abilities but also like getting getting that prerequisite mid cw superhero mid-season finale of the defeat that has to happen and for to propel everything else for the rest of the season so i i really liked it i really liked it and i really appreciated how they're sort of again balancing um rain's alter ego the extent of how Lena goes to confront Morgan Edge about it, and just that entire, like, the whole surroundings of this symbol that no one understands, and then bring Chad Lowe's character back really quickly. I really appreciated that continuity there, and it helps that he also directed, like, the episode, like, a couple of weeks ago. And so I, I just, I really appreciated almost this entire episode. And... <laughs> <laughs> More on so that in a bit, I, listeners. Never you fear. Yeah, more on that in just a second. And but so I, I, I really enjoyed that. How did you feel about like all this sort of like rain stuff that was like building up, and also like I'm really worried about that little kid. <laughs> yeah. I, also, similar feelings on Psych. <laughs> yeah. Same actor. Um, but um, that's why she looked familiar. Thank you. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, they continue to really tip their hand. Oh, look, she's bonding extra with Kyler Lee. How about yeah. that? Uh, yeah. Like we can see. I thought of you in that moment. I just went, oh, Kate was so right. <laughs> That's where we're going. Um, but I, I do think so much of this comes down to the performances. And Odette mm-hmm. Annabelle is, again, doing really terrific work here. I think the actress playing the daughter is also doing a really good job um, selling the confusion and fear there. But also like the the does, like the such a strong desire for everything to be okay that she's mm-hmm. like really leaning into that. Um, I think the the fight was terrific, and the rest of the like uncertainty bring back like you said Chedlow's character. I was so glad to see him back. That makes so much sense, and also it's like. It was a really good standalone episode, but then it's made even more effective by, you know, drawing back in to this other material. Um, yeah, I thought it was really strong, uh, except with one glaring element. And we got to talk yeah. about it. And James and Lena. It's like, bullshit. what? There's, no- it, it, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. there. There's nothing. so nothing there. Like, there yeah. was more chemistry and the potential lead up 
to James and Kara than there is here. And like, and there was very little there. Yep. And I mean, we, we called this like in the pilot or not the pilot in the premiere, if not like by the second episode. And it's just, it's really frustrating to watch it because it's again, there's no chemistry there. It feels very driven by the fact that this is, really the only character that James has interacted with all season that isn't Kara. <laughs> and that avenue's closed. So it's just like, well, we're going to do this. And it's just like, no, no, you don't need to do this. Forcing a romance is what you scuttled in season two for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And now you're just repeating your same mistake again because you've you've got two actresses that are leaning in really hard on the, <laughs> <laughs> well, on the homoerotic subtext. <laughs> well, or, you know, or because they are trying to move away from that because they don't want to queerbait the audience and they know they're not right. going to go there. Fair enough, I guess. But yeah. this is not the answer because nope. they don't have any chemistry and because you haven't earned it. And so when they say, I, whenever you have to have characters say, and this was true in Stranger Things season two in a big way as well. When you have to have characters say, I can see all this chemistry between you two, that means that they, that you aren't earning it. You should yeah. not have to ha- say that conversation. You should not need to write it into several characters' dialogue, which is what they do this week. Also, not only is there nothing there, but even if there was, Lena is smarter than to just start making out with her underling. Are you kidding right. me? Yeah. Like They need to have James make the move because she's the one with more power. So this is an abuse of power. And in the, in the situation we're having uh, right now around sexual assault in the workplace... This is not a good look, Supergirl. Yeah. No, it's just, it's uniformly bad. And I get that they wanted to, like, heighten it with some booze and some danger. But it's just like, no, this doesn't work at all. And quibbiness about my quarterly threats on my life or aside, you're not going to, you're not really going to get anywhere with selling me on this. So, Well, why no. isn't Lena asking, hey, yes, James Olsen just protected me. How? He's yeah. not a fighter. Like, did no. she just not see that shield pop out of nowhere? And like, no. like she again, she's she's smarter than that. So she should be asking some questions and wondering at the very yeah. least. Yeah, um, I firmly believe that she's known Kara's Supergirl for like this whole time. Ever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and she's choosing to not make it a thing out of respect uh, for Kara and their friendship, um, which is great. But don't ask me to also buy the that's what's happening with james too it's just it's yeah if the only thing you can come up with to do with a character is make them a love interest you've got a much bigger problem normally that's the problem we see with women on tv shows right but it's with james yeah Yeah, they have no idea what to do with james and so write him off or come up with something better and this is not solving it yeah, and the thing is, is like, given that the show has drifted so far away from Catco, in part because the Callista Flockhart left a massive vacuum for that mm-hmm. section that they cannot fill, mm-hmm. um, that there's no reason for us to have to have a know who's in charge of Catco and have them barking orders or anything and providing that sort of thing. And just, yeah, there's no need for it to exist at this point. Uh, because they're not doing anything with it. And mm-hmm. apart from, well, we've got James for five seasons because of his contract. I guess we can do this. And that's what it feels like. It's just increasingly obligatory, but it doesn't offer anything. Yeah. And to the point where, like, contrast this with something like Legends of Tomorrow, where 
James leaving wouldn't feel inorganic at this point. No, it wouldn't. It would. Yeah. There's no reason they need to keep him on the show. And if if there wasn't such, I mean, and I have no issue with the actor. Yeah. No, I, I think Macad Brooks is a really good actor, just not on this show sometimes, and not and not the way that they're using him. And yeah. so the. You need to figure it out, Supergirl. And part of why it stands out is that every other part of the show is so much better. This season, they've yeah. steered so fully into all the female relationships, and it has done wonders for them. They've been they've been their best yet, probably this yeah. season. And like, know where your strengths and your weaknesses are. And James Olsen is a huge weak point to the show. Yeah. You know, they're also not really using Jeremy Jordan, and he is terrific as well. Yeah. But they aren't forcing him into a relationship with with some other character that doesn't make sense to try to have a reason to have him on the screen. Yeah, exactly. And then they're able to do really smart, small side things like if my father is going to learn anything from Earth, it's how to appreciate Hall and Oates. (laughs) That's all I need from John this week is that. Yeah. And that's how you can have a character have a personality and a perspective while still not feeling like an obligation to the show. Yeah. So, like, Wynn's getting nothing to do. Jean is getting, like, a spotlight episode here and there, but mostly nothing to do. And that's okay. Just because an actor is really good doesn't mean the show is made better by finding reasons to to give them extra airtime that don't fit the character and don't fit the show. Yeah. There's going to be a bunch more of this coming, isn't there? I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're going to be having this conversation a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, that'll be fun. Let's talk about Bebo God of War because, like, that was delightful. Oh, God. I mean, let's, I, I, I mean, they started this last season, but I mean, let's just talk about how much they've embraced just being deeply, deeply, deeply silly. Mm-hmm. Because they have. It's really delightful. And from having. Bebo be a thing that all they do is tickle it, uh, rub <laughs> its tummy, and it delivers not even like silly instructions, just like it's pre-programmed sort of things. And then we've got Neil McDonough dressed up as Odin and in a terrible wig mm-hmm. with like a spear that and it's just it's all so ridiculous, Kate, and I don't care because it's all very good. And they do silly things like, well, let's go through what would happen if you confronted Dark on your own and then actually show it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do it again real quick when Vikings coming to kill us all because we've accidentally actually killed Dark. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's very good. And then we get a small little lecture about God and climate change. And that is also <laughs> <laughs> you're oh fighting God. a good fight ray keep it up oh yeah okay listeners if you don't watch lessons of tomorrow what we're talking about is that this week's episode basically featured them traveling back in time to when the vikings came to america and what if a tickle me elmo doll was dropped in that time and they decided that that was a god because it started speaking randomly to them and and all of a sudden instead of christmas we had elmo day only it's a blue thing Bebo it, day. Yeah, and it's Bebo. Bebo day but it's a tickle me elmo doll is what it is yeah and it is absolutely ridiculous it is super fun and it is like the the, the cast just does such a terrific job selling this like 
the smartest thing the airverse did like ever was undead sarah lance because katie lots is just she's so so terrific in this role in this show like she knows the tones to hit she was yep. wonderful on Mad Men. don't get me wrong i'm not saying that this is like this is her perfect sphere she can't do lots of other things too but she she nails the action and the comedy and the deadpan all so incredibly well and in this episode in particular i think it's one of their best episodes this year uh probably their best episode this year everybody's on that level on that playing field um this reaction to stein's death in the crossover that we get from everybody is also much more organic and feels much more lived in and and real too so it was a very strong fight like for people who might have tuned in after the crossover and be like maybe i'll give this a shot what a terrific episode to take out the 2017 yeah, no, it is. And including like down to the continuation of keeping Leo around and mm-hmm. God, oh, Whitworth Miller is so good. <laughs> it's He's just so good. Yep. And his, everything that happens with like him between Leo and Nick is just really spot on. And I, I knew I missed their like inter- interplay, but I didn't realize how much I missed it until like this episode. I was just like, Oh, right. They're really, really good together. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot. And now I remember. I'm just like, oh, this is so good. Um, but I, it's just, but the fact that your point about like dealing with Stein's death, I think, leads up, circles back to our discussion about characters leaving and the fact that Jax decides that he's going to leave for an indefinite amount of time, I think makes a complete amount of sense um and but also like signals that a we were just like well he doesn't have any powers he doesn't have any skills apart from being able to fix the ship and we did this whole thing about him being concerned about not being able to be a legend without any actual skill sets to contribute then why would he stay Mm -hmm. and the answer is he wouldn't stay he would leave and I appreciate that, and I appreciate the willingness to let this character go for, again, probably in uh, an undefined amount of time, because he'll be back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like that they're willing to do that, and that his decision to leave feels really organic, and I like how he tries to fix it with the letter, and Back to the Future, young, young, younger Martin Stein... And it's all it's just it's all very good. And I really appreciated that that was the capstone to that. Yeah, well, I'm just going to call it right now. He's going to come back because whoever Mollis or whatever, who's been manipulating the timeline to cause uh, like unexpected interactions with their former selves and stuff is going to kidnap him and they're going to end up saving him like that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's what's going to like. They're going to like show up to fight Mollison. He's going to be there and they're going to be like, what? He's like, you like, you came for me. And he's like, and he'll be like, yeah, we knew you were gone. Um, So that's what at least something like that is what I'm expecting. Or like he'll show up. It'll be him with Rip and they'll bust out and get back to the ship. Yeah. Something like that. Um, But giving like this is a show with too many characters already and adding leo back in as much as we super enjoy wentworth miller makes it even harder to balance all those characters so sending one off into the sunset for a while makes total sense and is a good move for the show and the show being willing to do that i think is very smart i would love to see more of a rotating in and out on legends just in general i don't know if they'll be willing to do it but i think it would be smart 
Right. And then, like, we get Jax leaving. We get Leo for probably a couple more episodes because Miller yeah. has announced that he's, like, done, done um, yeah. pretty soon. But now we're going to get two episodes with Constantine. Mm-hmm. And, and that's he's very terrific ex- in this world, too. He's very good in this world. Like, this is a really perfect fit for, A, Constantine, but it's also a very perfect fit for Matt Ryan's particular performance of Constantine, yeah. which is, again, this very arch, sarcastic kind of character who fits with these very just crazy misfit characters again. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really glad that that one-time dispensation thing that they did a couple uh, seasons ago on Arrow turned out Mm -hmm. not to be so one-time after all, and he gets to, like, circle back for this. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see this whole exorcism thing that they're going to do when they come back in February. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and then they'll be taking over Supergirl's slot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. While Supergirl goes on a mini hiatus here. But, um, yeah, Reeves and... um, and lots are terrific together just as yeah. Miller and, uh, and lots are. And so again, there are still strong and weak points in this cast, um, yeah. but they're playing to their strengths and yeah. Supergirl, you could learn a lesson from that. Yeah. Um, and just writing out when they have too many characters, instead of giving a forced stupid love interest, like they did last year, they've learned from that. And now they're not doing that anymore. Thank you. Legends. Uh, let's move on to the flash. Don't run. I have one thing to say about this episode. Does the Flash realize that they, in this episode, have used the exact same plot with, like, two changes from Get Out? I really hope so. Um, And now, like, admittedly, I didn't see Get Out until, like, a month ago. But they, they just did Get Out. And, and just to get out, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and this is a show that we've already talked about. We've we've praised them for the diversity of the cast and how amazing it is to see a group of mostly uh, superheroes yeah. of color kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, um, and that not being a, a conversation or, or or not being a defining like thing that the show centered on. Just these are the characters, and they are informed by their backgrounds and who they are, and they kick ass. Um, but then they're right. Then they wrote out Wally to bring on Dibney and or not for that one to one reason, but they wrote out Wally and they brought on Dibney. And then here in this episode, they have a rich, powerful white man who with a fa- ailing body take over the body of a black man. Yeah. And they don't seem like they're aware at all that maybe that's an issue. And that right. speaks to larger societal concerns and that there was a amazing, really terrific, very high profile movie specifically about that yeah. <laughs> from earlier this year. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. It's just like it feels very much like a, oh, well, Lonsdale's not around. So we really want to bring a balance back to it. Mm-hmm. Or it feels very much like we blind casted this role and this was the best guy that we saw for this. Yeah. And we just didn't think about the implications of this, which, by the way, is why blind casting is, is not a bad idea. Yeah. It's a terrible idea. And um, that's really what I legitimately think happened is that, like, they just blind casted this role. They really liked that actor mm-hmm. and went, we're going to do this and did not think through the implications of doing what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it was really icky. It was just super, super icky. And... Yep. I'm not, I'm, I was 
I was not, I was really excited about like the thinker being present in this season Mm -hmm. because again, it's not a speedster character. I'm excited about them doing the trial of the flash, which is a iconic flash storyline in the comics, but all of it's been tainted by this. And I'm really upset about that because there's, it's just, it's gross and just really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm, it's, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And the fact that nobody higher up in the the production like scheme of, of these different Arrowverse shows noticed mm-hmm. or said anything or said, we need to change some things yeah. about that. You already have some yeah. problematic stuff going on with your casting and the use of your characters of color. Um is does not be very optimistic, even less optimistic the, about the Arrow Black Lives Matter episode. It's not too late to just not do it, guys. Just yeah. don't do it. If you can't recognize that you are repeating Get Out without any of the subtext and sociological conversation, you should not do a Black Lives Matter episode. Yeah. I mean, different teams and everything, but still same team-ish, kind of. The same (laughs) heads of the productions, like the the same production company and the same people at the end of the day calling the highest level of the shots. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not great. And, like, the rest of the episode generally wasn't very good either. I appreciated them, like, remembering that Iris was, like, in charge and, like, making her, like, forcing her into position to make a decision. Though I also just kind of went, well, I don't understand. You could just use the satellite for this one thing, and you do have a private eye to do the other thing. And this feels like a false conflict, but I'm willing to roll with it because I want to see more of Iris in charge. Yeah. And it's good for her to have more to do and to have that quandary presented, dealt with, and now they can move on from it, which is good. Exactly. And I appreciate the fact that she's just like, yeah, we're going to save Caitlin. Barry will be fine because he's Barry. And it feels a little self-aware to the point of like, well, of course, Barry's going to be fine. He's the show. (laughs) (laughs) There is that. Um, Okay, let's move on to our last episode for the weekend genre. And that's Arrow, Irreconcilable Differences. Um, Yeah. I don't have any thoughts about like I don't really know what they're doing this season. Like I thought it was yeah. fine for an episode of Arrow, but I I'm very yeah. lost as to what they're doing other than unveiling their new Legion of Doom. Yeah. And I see I'm sort of intrigued by this and so far as I like the idea of them doing a Legion of Doom for, against the Team Arrow. Mm-hmm. I just wish it was a bunch of people that we had spent a lot more time with than Aside from Anatoly, who yeah. is amazing and wonderful, and that performer whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head, is has has been nothing but really good on this show since season two. <gasps> um, but it's just like, here's that character that you met like three weeks ago that we haven't referenced again? <laughs> and Kate and James and Black Siren and that vigilante guy who we just unmasked like another three weeks ago. Who you really don't care about. Who you really don't care about. <laughs> Right. And it's just like, these are all, these are all characters that we have like no connection to. And that to a certain extent, especially with, um, the Ricardo Diaz character, mm-hmm. um, have like very minimal interactions with Team Arrow at this point. Yeah. That their whole grudge against Team Arrow just feels manufactured for the sake of the season to have a really big cabal for them to square off against. But it feeds into what you were talking about with them not quite not feeling like it's really clear what they're doing this season. 
from a aside from their thematic point about fathers and sons um but this whole brokering of team arrow just kind of feels very of a piece of oliver but it's also like we've been here before we've done this a gazillion times and it's just a real like rehash of the whole batman doesn't trust his partners type of thing and it's just like (laughs) no we get it because he doesn't trust anyone he doesn't trust himself and we've been here before with this of like well i didn't trust you guys enough to reveal my secret plan about how i was going to infiltrate rachel ghoul's league of assassins and look what that did and oh no i've repeated my mistakes again and we don't (laughs) learn from them and it's just it's really ridiculous and as much as i sort of like this idea of the three of them maybe striking out on their own and trying to like do this without the resources of team arrow it's just we've i've seen this before it was season two (laughs) no season three was it season two or season three one of them it was one of them um we've seen this all like sort of before and I don't need to see it again, even if I am sort of still intrigued enough to I, I was going to quit. But I kind of want to see what this cabal is going to do because they're not going to blow up the city because why would they? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. So I'm actually sort of intrigued as to what these villains end games are, even if I'm not interested necessarily in what they're doing with the heroes. Yeah. Uh, I will say this for them. They added a new level, a new like thing. It's also fathers and daughters now. Yes. Such variety. Very quickly. Like that happened really fast. Yeah, they should have been building up to that a bit more, um, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. But yeah, we really don't care about most of those people in that line at the end there. It's yeah. it's Anatoly and it's Black Siren and it's look, Michael Emerson from Lost. Yeah. <laughs> and oh Kirk Azevedo, I should rewatch some fringe. And vigilante guy that is just like the just bland McBlanderson, like so bland. Yeah. Uh I, I am more invested with Dinah than I than I think a lot of other people are. But I do not care about his aspect of that. I only yeah. care about her part of that. Um, I do like the idea of um, of Ollie losing the trust of the new members of the team. And then just be like, yeah, no, I'm leaving because I don't need this. This is a lot. <laughs> yeah. This does a lot of damage to the rest of my life. And so it needs to be worth it. Um, so I think that is a good conversation to have. And I like the way that Eleanor, the, the history with Eleanor, really informed and very actively informed their decision-making process in this episode. Oh, However, Evelyn, Evelyn, sorry. Thank you. Not Eleanor. Yeah. That's Eleanor no. Shellstrop. Shellstrop. We miss her very much. She'll be back soon. Um, Such a high drama bench. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, uh, I, yeah, I was glad that that did come back here, but you're right. They've done this so many times and yeah. um, it's just not effective or affecting anymore. I will say Felicity, a couple things. Felicity's mom don't you be dancing with her dad. Her dad's evil. I don't care. Like I don't think dad... we care about the calculator being a villain anymore. No, on the scale of things, certainly. But just like, come on, he's a jackass. He's terrible. You're way too... Like, yes, it's your daughter's like wedding reception, but come on. So is that... I do very much enjoy the contrast between Barry and Iris and and, and the wedding gifts and everything <sighs> and, and and Felicity and Ollie. This is the difference being a bajillionaire will do for you. You have a massive giant party. Also, that's not who Iris and Barry are. But still, yeah. I enjoyed that contrast and the dialogue in this episode. Ugh. 
oof, there was some like when I broke in there six months ago to then install this camera for this is like, oh, my God, guys, like all you like, dude. Like you just have Black Siren walk in and be like and say something. It's like, oh, the camera's still up from when I broke in. Like there are other yeah. ways you could have done that. They wouldn't have been elegant, but they wouldn't have been as clunky as this. Yeah. But hey, I'm I'm glad that no one ruins Oliver and Felicity's wedding. I mean, that's really reassuring that those two very happy rich white people get to keep their wedding ceremony party thing. That makes me feel really yeah. good inside. And I just like circle back to the flash. I was really glad that Iris mentioned, oh, no, I'm not bitter at all. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, thank God. Iris is upset about this as much as I am. Not as much, maybe, but <laughs> at least she's mentioning it. Yeah, at least she's discussing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is, of course, while well, Ollie's out on uh, on Bond or whatever, on Bale. And yeah. Yeah, they, they, life is different for Ollie than it is for other people. And that's okay, because that makes yeah. the show more interesting. Well, um, William's going to be really happy about all of this, too. Yeah. <laughs> I liked what we got with Thea, by the way. And yeah. um, that was that was nice. And again, another mm-hmm. example of, of Arrow, another Arrowverse show, having too many characters having an actor they don't know what to do with or who would like to diminish their time on the show and yeah. just coma. There yeah. you go. Coma for half the season. And then when we have something for you to do, we'll wake you back up. Like, yeah, there are other ways to do this, Supergirl. Anyways, on that note, what was your week in genre? It's it's happy, isn't it? It's totally happy. No, um, it's tough, actually, because I really liked S.H.I.E.L.D., Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow this week. Um, but... I think just I, I think I'm going to give it to Agents of Shield um, okay. this week. Um, I, I I think I know what yours is though. Does it involve goat's blood? <laughs> it's a, I, like I'm really torn between Outlander mm-hmm. and Bebo God of War. That doesn't mean that there's no such thing as climate change. I mean, like oh, I'm so good. Uh, I guess, I guess I'm gonna. I get I gave it to Outlander last week, as I recall. So I'm, I'm, you can I'm still do that. I'm making it yeah. a tie. Outlander okay. and Legends of Tomorrow, both ridiculous in <sighs> such very different ways, but both with some really delightful and memorable moments. Thank you both for being in my TV life this week. Uh, a few show notes here at the end of our week in TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. The chaptered feed lets you skip back and forth if you want to avoid spoilers for shows you don't watch or just, you know, speed up your listening time. Um, and unchaptered just goes all the way through. You can also find us in Stitcher. We would appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. And and if you do leave a rating review, especially if you're in another country, shoot us an email and let us know. Uh, Otherwise, we won't find out about it. (laughs) You can also uh, like the page on Facebook and start up a conversation there or find us both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Now it is time to move to the DVD shelf or season spotlight, I suppose, for Twin Peaks, a show that is not your thing, not your show, uh, Noel. So you will be bidding adieu to the listeners. I, I will. I will. I will just be a teapot that doesn't talk during your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good times. Good. Uh, oh, Twin Peaks. Well, 
more on it at the uh we'll be talking about it. Noel and I'll be talking about it a little bit more when we get into the uh smorgasbordy just for memorable moments and such. But while Noel will not be joining us for this next segment, we'll be jo- I will be joined by a friend of the show, Emily L. Stevens from the AV Club. Uh so we'll take a break, listen to a little bit more music, and come back with Emily to talk Twin Peaks. I'll be right back after this. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and Noel is sitting out the segment this week because Twin Peaks isn't his thing, and I respect that. So instead, I have joining me, friend of the show, it's been too long, Emily L. Stevens. Welcome back. Kate, thank you so much for having me back. I love being on the Televerse. It's such a, it's always fun talking with you about any show, Emily. It's always super fun uh, having you on. However, I'm very glad. It's such a, a relief to me that you are coming on to talk about Twin Peaks because um, the the new, the return or whatever you want to call it, the this year's Twin Peaks, uh, because I have very little idea what happened or what it means or anything. And when I was trying to review it week to week on the podcast, as Noel can tell you or any of our listeners can tell you, I would just kind of be like, it just was like, yeah, um... I don't have the words. I'm not sure how to just, it just, it has its own, it's its own feel. It was just, it was just kind of crazy, but also really cool. But also I don't know what any of it means. Um, and you managed to write about Twin Peaks every week, beautifully, incredibly well, <laughs> the day of. So um, I doff my imaginary hat to you, Emily. And uh, yeah, I just know I'm leaning on you for this segment. <laughs> uh, well, managed is exactly right, because when you say, I, it was crazy and things happened, but I don't know what had that. I think you've summed it up. Segment over. We're done. We're done. That's all you need. Yep. That's <laughs> that's what I've got for you. Uh, you know, I <laughs> I have been reviewing my own writing about this a little bit just this morning in preparation for this podcast segment. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm a little impressed that I managed to whip out some of this stuff at one in the morning. <laughs> um, it really sounds like I know what's going on. And I have to say, 
I'm not sure that knowing what happens is the key to Twin Peaks ever. It never has been. Right. Particularly for the return. I think the return goes in hard on the emotional impact that underlies seasons one and two. And I am going to call this season three because it is a continuation. And and also, as I was writing about it for the AV Club, that's how we determined we were going to treat it, not as a separate entity, but as season three. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, for the bookkeeping purposes, essentially, it falls right in line, season one, season two, season three. It's a continuing narrative. It just happens to be a narrative that continues 26 years later. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it was in, we, let's start with talking about some of the reaction to it. Obviously, we'll get to our thoughts. I was really surprised by some of the responses I was seeing. And also, so this, some of this might just be the echo chamber, because I didn't actually see this many pieces like this or this much reaction like this, but I saw other people talking about seeing these reactions. This idea of people being confused by this, you know, season three, by by this season's episodes, like or like feeling like it wasn't the real Twin Peaks or they wanted to get to so-and-so character already. And I... Because this was so quintessentially twin. Like, what did they think it was? Go- it was going to be. Um, and I try not to uh, make it a rule not to critique how other people enjoy entertainment. So, you, if this was not your twin hashtag, <laughs> not my Twin Peaks, fair enough, listeners. Um, but for me, it was so very in line with the little I know of David Lynch of Twin Peaks and absolutely so- and some of his other works. Um, that I it felt just like you dropped right back into this strange world, and the some of the same characters were there, some were glaringly missing, you know, and um, you just kind of picked right back up, and it was remarkable to me how Im- immediately on watching these the first episodes, just the long silences, the long stillness, just sort of the just an oddness to the tone immediately got me right back in the world of Twin Peaks. And uh, I felt like we had never really left. I I felt the same way, but I can really sympathize with people who, who watch that first hour and think about it. The first hour, yet we open with, uh, with the giant and Dale Cooper having a conversation. And that's moderately familiar. Mm-hmm. But it jumps into New York City and the big glass box that maybe represents a camera and maybe represents a projector and maybe represents a television. And and two characters we've never seen before and are never going to see again. It jumps all over the place. And I, I can sympathize with people who were hoping it would open with Dale Cooper or with Laura Palmer. or <laughs> But... But I think there there are two things I want to say about that. One is that this return of Twin Peaks did disorient the viewer in very much the same way the original broadcast did, not by repeating the tricks and ticks of the original broadcast series, but by venturing into new territory. Twin Peaks was so groundbreaking when it first arrived on the scene. And that's exactly what the return gave us 
when it returned. It gave us something groundbreaking and disorienting and destabilizing. There's a scene early on where uh, where Dale Cooper is walking through the red room and the floor literally shifts under his feet. And that to me is the essence of Twin Peaks. It's there's nothing here that is stable and reliable because that is the nature of the world David Lynch is creating. And and let's not give Mark Frost short shrift. There's there's nothing here in this world that these two have hammered together over the decades that you can stand firm on. Yeah. So knowing that it's not, you know, hashtag not my Twin Peaks means that it really is Twin Peaks to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I noticed early on um, in the second broadcast, so the third and fourth episode, um, the the scene with um, with Andy and Lucy's son, <laughs> <laughs> particularly, I, I, some people really enjoyed the campiness of it. Uh, I really I reacted very strongly to Wally Brando to Michael Sarah's brief performance. Uh, I hated it. <laughs> it made me angry. And I understand that other people felt, you know, warm and fuzzy nostalgia or thought it was quirky and cute. And and they're right. And I think there is something there. I think there's something at the heart of that, that it is it is such a play on the nostalgia that runs through all of David Lynch's work. He's a caricature of a type that you see in Twin Peaks' original run, you know, he's he's James, but turned up to the nth degree. He's this exaggerated, poetic biker from the, straight out of the 50s. His name is Wally Brando. Come on. And it's so over the top. It's such an overblown, flamboyant, kind of exhaustingly quirky performance that it it is uh it is an it is a heavy-handed return to the nostalgia that people have kind of reduced twin peaks to in the popular imagination you know it was never a show about coffee and pie mm-hmm. <laughs> it was never about the chocolate bunnies it was always a show and i'm going to assume that all, any anyone who's listening to this is aware of this. I'm, I'm going to issue a huge spoiler for the original run of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It was always a show about a man who was raping his daughter. And something in the popular imagination reduced it to a show about a quirky detective who loves pie. And it is that, but it's certainly a lot more than that and a lot darker than that and a lot sadder than that you know what i find entertaining is that with wally brando and james um i feel like wally brando just straight up is james but <laughs> michael Sarah's in on the joke <laughs> like that's the difference that um, is i think i think you may be onto something there because <laughs> that james is such a like a, a problem character for me watching twin peaks the first time which is it's just it's so ridiculous it's so overwrought it's i mean which is exactly what you know lynch and frost are going for it's exactly what they want um but it it just it's so heightened the performance and then this you know wally brando here is just that 
it's like okay we already know that to expect heightened emotions so we're just gonna go absurd and the difference i would point to is that we have that audience surrogate character of of the sheriff and just the performance uh it, it's just oh okay uh, hi hi wally um <laughs> so like I, that's that is us in that moment that's me watching james in the first um first two seasons of twin peaks um so i i haven't fully crystallized my thoughts on if lynch is saying something about how we engage with um these these different you know types of if his storytelling and and of course not just lynch but frost as well but just these heightened characters the, the decision to give us an audience surrogate in that scene, the one Wally Brando scene, instead of, we could have just followed, you know, Lucy and Andy outside and had the scene with just them. Instead, they very pointedly give us, you know, the sheriff just there, just incredibly dry, reacting to this absurdity and just confused. Um, I think that's an interesting choice because we don't usually get that in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I think I think you've made a really astute point. That's uh, that's a smart way of framing it. And oh boy, can we talk about Robert Forster? Because oh, he's so wonderful. He's tremendous. What a performance! He's so steady, but there's nothing boring there. I am a little heartbroken that Michael Ankian didn't come back or wasn't brought back. But if you have to have a replacement. That's the guy. Yeah. I, well, I have been heartbroken about Mulholland Drive ever since it didn't become a series and mm -hmm. uh, and missing the Robert Forster we might have seen in that performance. So this was just a balm to me. Well, and I think he brings something. Well, yes, it would have been nice to see the other Harry Truman, <laughs> um, the other Sheriff Truman, I should say. Um, he brings such a different even more grounded tone to it to the to that character i would think it would have been it would have felt very different if we had had our original harry because he's much he's a little uh kinder he's a little um more friendly he's a little uh like by the end almost goofy you know and so this having just that super dry um salt of the earth kind of character here as as our sheriff as our again as more of our audience surrogate like where we left sheriff truman at the end of season two and like after we'd seen some of his cuddlier side and his, he wasn't just a straight one for one like normal cop guy anymore i feel like if we went 25 years on from that they would have had to either reset him to get something like what we get from robert forster here or just completely you know had a different take on what those scenes would would be so yes it would be nice to see Michael Ankeen, but I prefer Robert Forster. No offense. No offense if you're listening, Mr. Ankeen. I, I, you know, I have to agree that I, I think you're absolutely on the money that, that having, having Harry there makes the story more about Harry and Dale when yeah. Dale finally comes back and lifting him out means that we don't lose the focus on the larger picture. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So it's a it's a strategic choice if <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about I didn't I did miss Harry. <laughs> um I did there are a couple though that I did miss. It would have been nice to see Joan Chen um in some way. Uh, agreed. And having your only coded 
Asian character or character of color in any way be Diane in disguise is, uh, yeah, let's, should we dive in with some of the more problematic aspects? Oh boy, there are plenty of them. And, and I will say this, this is, this is my caveat writing about this stuff at midnight. Sometimes I didn't hit those subjects as hard as I could have, should have. And if I had one thing to change about my coverage of Twin Peaks, it's stuff like this. Uh, Yeah, there are some really problematic and not surprising elements to this series. I talked about it a little bit in one of my reviews. I talked about uh, David Lynch's awareness of the disposability of female bodies in cinema and television. And... And I think that I gave, I, I think that I, I didn't give enough importance to the way that Jade, who's played by, I think her name is Nefessa Williams, uh, who we first meet when we first meet Dougie Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I gave enough importance to the way that she is sort of a throwaway character. I kept waiting for her to come back and be important, be something other than a plot element. Yeah. And she never did. And I should have seen that coming, having been familiar with David Lynch's work and the way that, yeah, characters of color are often just disposable or they are stand-ins for someone else. And that is distressing, but not surprising given his body of work. Yes, I very much agree. And it's, it is a very white cast that didn't have to be. And if the few characters of color, like you said, are very disposable, I just, I couldn't like miss, despite some of these really terrific performances throughout the cast, but like this, this this really great material for some of these actors to, to dive in with, like, I could not just stop being hit in the face with the sexism of so much of, of this season and the, the costuming and the coding. And I get he's commenting on other things like, yeah, okay. But at what point does it stop being commentary? And does it, you know, like where, where's the line? And so that was frustrating to me because I could appreciate all these things that this season was doing that was, were so compelling and, fascinating and and really great and then we'd go back to the two just for lack of a better word bunny characters who just are the dumb blondes who just follow around the mobsters why i guess it's a commentary or a pop culture parallel from those types of characters from an earlier time this play into nostalgia and, and such but like I just got to, like, why? Why with the, why are they there? Why are we spending this time with these characters? And it, it was getting, it got really frustrating for me. Yep, absolutely. I, I agree. And, uh, and I mean, think about the disembodied legs in the red pumps. I can't even remember if we ever saw that actor's face. Yeah. Uh, there are just so many disembodied or uncharacterized women sort of floating through this. But again, you know, that that's definitely Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, it's very characteristic of Lynch's work. And I do, I agree that it is a, it is obviously a commentary on 
the way that women's bodies are used in the media, but it's also just reiterating it at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's stepping back and forth over that fuzzy line between Riley remarking upon it and just uh, reinvesting in it. Yeah. We got to hashtag problematic <laughs> through <laughs> characters that, that I missed. Were there any characters performances that, that you missed? That, you know, that you, I mean, a big one for a lot of people is Audrey. She's she like Sherlyn Fenn nails the little bit she gets, but she's glaringly missing from a lot of the season. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say about Audrey, except that everything about that horrible little world she inhabits is so carefully thought out. There is a detail that I didn't notice until, until a couple of days after, I can't remember which episode it is, uh, a couple the of snow days after, yes, yes, yep. where Charlie is saying, is telling her how everything's going to be all right, and she says, what crystal ball are you looking in? And he, there's a shot of him leaning back at his desk saying, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. And on his desk, there's a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. And I, it made me so happy. Uh, I, I don't know what has happened to Audrey. I don't know where she is. I don't know what she is. I don't know when she is. And I can't regret that. That seems so perfect to me <laughs> and and promising. Who knows if there will ever be more? I didn't expect there to be more this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I, if there's ever more Twin Peaks on the horizon, maybe we find out about Audrey and maybe we don't. And we have to be okay with that. Audrey was so compelling for me and so satisfying um and and i don't know how much of this was intentional but also such a great cipher for some of the um let's just say bullshit that (laughs) women uh in particular have been experiencing this year um not hashtag not all women hashtag not all men don't don't at me um but like that little bit of gaslighting it's like i don't have a crystal ball like and the just the clear frustration and like start feeling like she's like chipping away at her sanity you know of of those scenes i think (laughs) is so relatable for so many people (laughs) this year um and then like and trying to just like just she tries to just dance uh, you know like her her dancing in the club that little bit we get of it was so as ever mesmerizing and it's so recaptured you know the um the feeling from the first two seasons and uh and and at the same time it's also commenting on the passage of time and how much does that matter and how much does that not how much do we change how much do we stay the same but for me though there are these all these themes running through twin peaks uh this year the ones that you know because of when we're watching and how i was watching that I kept coming back to were those ones that felt particularly relevant in this year. So, so, so straight up gaslighting of Audrey, the, uh, one of my favorite lines of the entire year, people are very stressed. (laughs) 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 This delivery was just killer. Um, but no, that's what I kept coming back to for, for Audrey. And though I would have loved to get more of her, the last shot we get of her in the white room with the, the hair, you know, like the natural makeup and hair and everything like that, um, was absolutely fascinating. 
if we weren't going to get more, having this completely strange other world where you feel like she's just there saying, is that, you know, like, is everyone on crazy pills? Like, I I felt I could, I could really relate to that this year. (laughs) The, um, the scene, the scene of her dancing in the roadhouse makes with great respect to Sherilyn Fenn, who this is not a remark upon her appearance at all. The camera makes no effort to disguise her age. Yeah. She looks like a woman of her age. She looks like a very good looking woman. She's of a, her age. A, yeah, a fabulous looking woman of her age. Yeah. And that happens over and over again throughout this season. Uh, and and it's clearly intentional because Lynch knows how to frame the camera to make somebody look the best they can look. And he knows how to frame, he knows how to shade the light and tilt the camera so that you catch every line and grain of someone's skin. And it's very obviously intentional age and, and even more than age, death and attrition are looming over every aspect of this production. It's tremendously honest about the age and the loss <laughs> that lie behind Twin Peaks. It's it's really very sweet. It's very touching. There are there's there's Catherine Coulson's last performance mm-hmm. is she's I just rewatched that this morning she I I cried again I cry every time I've watched her and I've watched all of her scenes you know five or six times at least um there's a glimpse of Frank Silva it's Miguel Ferrer appears um, and you know and Don S. Davis's character comes back Major Briggs comes back Mm -hmm. in a way and and more than that most episodes ended with a dedication memorializing someone in the production who had died in between the original production and the return. It's it's a bit of an elegy, not just to a show from 25, 26 years ago, but to a cohort of people and to a generation of artists who have been lost. Yeah. It's, it's it's beautiful. It's very mournful. It's very loving. It is merciless. And it's lovely. It's something we rarely see on TV. Yeah. Well, and that's what that, that sense of time and with it, the inevitable connection to, to death, you know, time will get us all <laughs> if something else doesn't get us first, um, is just it seeped throughout the show. And I think speaking of, of Catherine Olsen's performance, um, just the time on the phone with Hawk, those scenes, the log lady and Hawk, just so much silence, just waiting and being, you know, the comfort Hawk has in that waiting is, uh, is, it's, it's very, very rare. We don't see silence on television. We don't see waiting on television without tension you know like dramatic waiting for something to happen sure all the time but just pauses between people talking or thinking about what they're going to say or just sitting and waiting for someone to be ready to say something is not something that is on american tv anymore there's too too little time too many act breaks so we cut through all of that and 
seeing it again it's one of those things where where it just highlights how much you haven't noticed it you know on the televerse when we go back and we watch older shows that's one of the big things that often noel and i notice and remark on is how lived in scenes are because they they don't you have to strip away every external, every element of character or of uh, just world building, you know, just like nuance and everything. It's it's just everything you must know in that scene, nothing else. Um, and so seeing not only extra little things that we don't care about that don't affect the, the plot, that don't directly tie into character that are just there because they would be or why not um, really stood out here. But even more than that, again, a respect for and awareness of and comfort with time, uh, I think was one of my big takeaways for, from the season. And I think for me, airing, having it air two episodes a week, having just like a two hour, at least in the beginning of the season, just immersion <laughs> in, in this world worked incredibly well because of that. Absolutely. A lot of critics and right now, as we're taping this, a lot of critics are talking about whether whether the return of Twin Peaks is film or television. Which and is I, stupid. It's TV. I think. Yeah, obviously it's television. I understand, though, David Lynch's insistence that he is making an 18 hour movie. And yeah, the more immersed you can be in that world, the more receptive, the easier it is to be receptive to it. And the more you feel the impact of, as you say, the the documentation of time, that just just letting it click past, being patient. And Michael Horse is tremendous in those scenes with Catherine Coulson too. I don't know whether I haven't been able to find out whether they were talking. I'm sure they weren't talking to each other, but whether they were They're actually on with, set, you know, that yeah, kind of, yeah. I, I'm I'm confident, given the time of Catherine Coulson's death, that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I don't know whether he was playing to an empty line or whether he was playing to tapes of of Margaret Landerman. Uh, but his patience and silence and just quiet receptivity in those scenes is such a great contrast to the way he drives a lot of the investigation throughout the series uh, I think he was a little underserved in the original two seasons, and he did a tremendous job in The Return. He's yeah. fantastic. I, I I didn't know he had all of that in him. Um, but yes, the the just the patience of the show, the meditative pace is so important because... You know, there are a lot of there are a lot of Lynch literalists. There are a lot of people who go through checklists and count off things. And certainly the framing of, for example, Mulholland Drive encouraged that with its 10 clues, 10 questions. And there's something to be said for that worldview where you go through and add up all the clues. But I don't think that is what David Lynch's work is primarily about. About. Certainly, it's not for me primarily about that. Uh, Mark Frost's work, a little more so. But just letting it wash over you and being receptive to the images and to the emotional ebbs and flows that those images and, and the sound design particularly create in you, the, the frisson of terror and beauty and nightmare and dream and just being in that moment 
is to me more important than tallying up all of the little coded messages of numbers and words and repeated phrases. It there there's plenty of room in the world for both of those approaches, but for me the emotional impact of Twin Peaks and particularly of Twin Peaks the Return is way more important than the the factual the abstract is so much more resonant than yeah. any of the nuts and bolts pieces. Uh, and I, I mean, that that's partly a personal thing. I've been having some family trouble. We've had, we've had loss and illness and attrition in my own family, but it's not just me. I've been getting messages from viewers and readers of the reviews who have said, I'm going through, you know, this experience uh, in my life and this show has come along at exactly the right time or exactly the wrong time. And it is painfully, beautifully relevant to what's going on in my life. So it's, it's very personal, but there's also a certain universality to it that, that the, the return of Twin Peaks is just reaching inside of people and touching something inside them that that TV doesn't usually dwell on, you know? Death happens a lot on television. Age and loss and time passing, not so much. Yeah. And the the way that the show, that the return is comfortable not giving happy endings, not ju- jumping in 25 years later and everything's fine. Everyone's living life. And some for some characters, things turned out great. And for other characters, they didn't. And, you know, we're in the double R and finally we get a happy ending for those two. And <laughs> it's so, like, it's it's heartbreaking because it took 25 years. But it's, like, so beautiful that despite that, it's still we still got that like the 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 uh, the comfort this show and, and Mark Frost and David Lynch have with characters and just living their life and not being like 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 yelling about how you have to get home because the kid is sick it's just not everything needs to make sense not everything needs to be beautiful not everything needs to be you know healing and and wonderful or just depressingly sad for no other purpose. Like it just, it just sort of is. And it, and that is like, there's, there are not a lot of TV shows that are comfortable or movies that are comfortable to showing a range of what life is. And I, that's another thing that I, I really appreciated with the return. I would like to just mention Grace Zabriskie's performance because mm-hmm. as Sarah Palmer, she is, she is heartbreaking and terrifying. She's terrifying, and I was gonna say. <laughs> she's always been a little scary. Sarah has mm-hmm. always been a little scary. And I want to talk a little bit about Grace Zabriskie's performance because that breakdown in the market is where she's talking to the young cashier mm-hmm. and the something happened to me that is <laughs> the 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 non-specificity of that mm-hmm. is terrifying and so relatable because yes 
something happens to all of us and we don't have any control over what it might be. And yes, as you say, some of the characters are doing fine. Some of the characters are doing terribly. Some of the characters are just muddling along. Um, did you care about Mike? Did you ever care about finding out what Donna's terrible boyfriend was doing now? I didn't, but <laughs> no. we found out <laughs> Yeah, just in a passing scene at the car dealership. And we could have used that time to find out how so many other people we cared about more were doing, but that's not how life is. And that there's something about a narrative that doesn't give you what you want. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very ambivalent, ambiguous story. And the performances are tremendous. One of my great regrets is that no matter how many words I wrote, I never had enough words to highlight all of the fantastic performances in this um well i was gonna try to start mentioning some of them because we're over time already and <gasps> just the t i feel like as soon as i say any of them i'm gonna want to say all of them and there's so many it's ridiculous everybody is real good in this i think yeah if if i haven't called you out as being bad and i haven't then i think you're tremendous <laughs> uh, the performances in this are they are uniformly everyone is really swinging for the fences and when it goes big, it's big. And when it goes quiet, it's quiet. And there is so much room for music in between those two. And I, it was such a gift to be given this show again. I, I can't, I couldn't express how much Twin Peaks meant to me in its original broadcast. And Certainly, given being given a chance to cover this professionally is something I never thought I'd get to do. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I, I, it's my job to find fault, and I did. I did my best, yeah. but it felt churlish every single time <laughs> because <laughs> what a joy it is just to have this document in the world. This is a fantastic piece of art that I never expected to see. And I'm so grateful for it with all of its many, you know, copious flaws. Yeah. They just don't matter that much to me because the overall tapestry is such a luxury. Yeah. It, it, we, we, we've had some of our issues with Twin Peaks, the return or this season of Twin Peaks. And yes, we have problems with it, but... It, it gave us David Bowie's only logical replacement, a giant tea kettle. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it gave us the, whatever the thing was with the hand, it gave us a Diane that could somehow exceed the hype and build up. I didn't know I needed to see Diane. And then we did. And it was amazing. Every version, you know, and characters took off their face and a bug crawled into a person's ear or something. And there was the, I have no idea what is happening with the atom bomb. Like this it told us where Bob came from. I never expected that to happen. That seemed like one of the ineffable mysteries of the world. And to have even, even an ambiguous explanation of Bob being crafted out of humankind's willingness to destroy itself and its globe is, I, that was such a gift. Mm -hmm. I had no expectation of that happening. Yeah. 
Well, I think if we had expectations for Twin Peaks, I feel like there's no purpose in that. It's never you're never going to get anything out of saying what you want Twin Peaks to be, other than you hope it's an experience. And I think that's what this certainly was. Uh, uh, I have been I enjoyed most of what I watched. I don't understand most of what I watched, but I really don't think that matters. Um, Emily, any final thoughts you have on the season or any other like little moments you, or just <laughs> elements you want to mention? <laughs> I am a little overwhelmed by the possibilities. Yeah. I don't know what happened at the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm going to be pondering over that probably for as long as I live. I just know that the beauty of seeing Dale Cooper extend his hand in the dark was just how I needed it to be. That's that's the image that I needed from Twin Peaks. And when I think about that, when I think about the series, that's the image that I take away is just before it's revealed that they have they have upset the universe somehow. That image of Dale Cooper holding out his hand to a woman who is not Laura Palmer is the image that I'm going to take with me from this show for as long as I live. Well, I think we got to end it there because that was beautiful and uh, I'm not going to top it. So we're going to go out on that note. Emily, thank you so much as ever for coming back on. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? I am a regular contributor to the AV Club. I am, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Emily or else. And I'd love to hear from any of you. Thanks so much for having me on again, Kate. I appreciate it. Yeah, good times. Well, and again, like I said, thank you for letting me talk about Twin Peaks without having to just go, stuff, things and feelings, and I don't know. Um, I like how I'm still kind of at that same point after, you know, the better part of an hour's conversation about it. But that's 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 so perfect for Twin Peaks. So thank I, you. I'll Emily. do this once a week if you want. Just call me back anytime, <laughs> and we'll talk hey, about Twin Peaks for 25 I'm minutes still, every week. I'm still waiting on a certain promised podcast <laughs> from yeah. Emily and friend of the show, Dennis Perkins. I'm just saying, listeners want to hear it. I, I'm afraid that life happened and maybe mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. didn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, whenever y'all want to get that going, I'm whenever life saying, settles down, I will have, be your first subscriber. When you have time to fill, you call me. We'll talk about Twin Peaks for 15 minutes. Because I know going short is a big problem for you. <laughs> Every week. It's just, it's the worst problem. Yeah, you're like, what will we possibly talk about, Emily? What will we possibly talk about? Well, I will hold you to that and expect some DMs to show up um, in the next uh, next few weeks. But for now, thank you, Emily, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 